Can I just say this? Maybe this is like a, a little note you need to make, not a point for the sermon or anything. But the gospel creates changed people. I mean, really, think about that phrase. The gospel creates changed people. And he, here's what got me thinking on it this week. I really didn't even think about it until really yesterday. You know, it's something I've been thinking about the whole time, but like I didn't connect how much the gospel creates changed people until this chapter. Because who's writing this? Kind of a quiz on the intro. Paul. He's writing it from prison. We've already talked about that and all that. Do you remember who Paul, who Saul was? Let's go back to his old name. And no, he didn't get a new name because he got saved in case that's some doctrine that's being taught. That's a lie. Um, you don't have to get a new name when you get saved. That's not that. You get a new being. You become new, but no new names um, unless you just want one. So, but, but he was Saul. What, what was Saul doing? Let me tell you. Saul was like the first century jihadist. Literally. I mean, that's what he was. If you go to the book of Acts chapter 9 at the beginning before Paul you know, has his encounter with the Lord. In verse one, it says that he was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's people. Saul's main purpose was to kill and destroy the church. His main, here's what, here's what really got me. His main purpose was to stop the unity and to break it all up. He bust into a house. He wanted people spreading everywhere. He got into a community. He wanted them all separate. If he sat in that community on a Sunday morning, I know they did it on Saturday, on a Saturday morning, whatever, he wanted to see how many people would actually get up and go to that building where he knew church was meeting versus how many of them would chicken out and not unify together. That was his sole existence. When, when Acts chapter 9 verse 1 says he was breathing out murderous threats against him, that's what he would do. He'd go to a community, go to a town and say, I'm going to kill any of y'all to get up and go to that building in the morning because I know what y'all do there. That was his thing. He wanted to divide and break apart. And yet here he is writing words like press on in Christ, walk in the gospel, live in unity. The same guy that was trying to divide the church is now trying to unify the church and make sure they understand how important it is. And I just want to make sure we understand like the gospel creates changed people because that's the business of the king we serve. Redemption, the business of making people new. And totally changing what they do. I mean, literally, he had the exact opposite turnaround for what's happening. And I want to say that because that's empowering to us. It should feel good to us. Like that, that's a really good thing. Because a lot of what I'm going to say this morning, you're probably not going to like it. It ain't going to feel good. You see by the title, you know, the, the, the message. No parent ever tells their kid, grow up when they was doing something good. Right? You know, no kid was being a gentleman or whatever. They had to slip Beth 20 bucks to get her to say all that mumbo jumble about him. Uh, you know, no kid was doing that. And dad came up to him and said, I wish you'd just grow up. No, when dad said that, they were generally what? Doing something dumb. They were generally doing something dad used to do. That's why dad could say, hey, you need to grow up. You know, you, 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 need, you need to man up. You need to, you need to change. You know, and all this thing. So, so, and I want to make sure we understand it because he, here is the title and here is Paul's big message. In chapter 4, the verse, first 16 verses, we can go make it fast half of it. That's why he stopped early. It, it's grow up. In verse 15, he actually uses the word. and He says, I want you to grow up in every way. Meaning this, you don't get to pick and choose the areas that you grow in. You ever met people like that in a gym? Like they'll, only, they'll come in every day when you used to go to a gym. I know none of you go to a gym anymore now that COVID is here. Right? When you used to go to a public workout facility, they'd come in every day and work the same muscle. I remember at the while we would see a guy who would do bench almost every single day. And he would neglect the rest. Or a guy who comes in and does nothing but arms every single day. A guy who comes in and does nothing but traps everything. Some guys who actually do do nothing but legs all the time and they neglect the rest. Paul is saying, I want you to grow up, but I want you to grow up in in all the ways. I don't want you to pick and choose where you want to grow. I want you to grow up in all. In verse 14, he said, I no longer want you to be children in the faith. I'm so glad my kids are the age they are now. Can I just speak freely as a parent of three? Right? Like we had three because odds are out of three, one of them may run into some money and be able to take care of us. Even if they marry into it, that's fine. We don't mind. Like we're not against that, right? So, 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 so we had three of them so they can take care of me when they get up. But if they never grow up, how are they going to take care of me? Right. And, and I hear you, you, you wiser people, not older, but wiser, sometimes maybe a lot older. You say, oh, baby, you need to cherish these years. 
You have forgotten what it's like during these years. When you say cherish these years, I need to call you when they done peed and not they, they ain't doing this now, okay? They a little bit past that stage, thank goodness. But but I need to call you when they need sheets changed in the middle of the night. Right? I need to call you whenever there's one of them diapers with like a rainbow of colors coming out the back of it. Let's go ahead and get real with it, right? Like those aren't the years you want to cherish. Man, the older they get, the more fun they get. I can wrestle and punch on them for real now, right? Like it's good stuff. Oh, now that you turn 13, we up the level, but I just want to make sure you understand that. Oh, you know, but all kidding aside, think, think about it from a spiritual perspective of what Paul is saying when he says, I don't want you guys to no longer be like children. Wouldn't it be weird if you saw a grown man wearing a diaper, still sucking on a bottle? Right. And I don't know if you got any weird fetishes. And if you do, you just need to go and get that out your head because that's just strange. Right. But 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 it, but it, in the in the world is a common thing. Like that would be a weird picture. And Paul is saying, like, you're not called to stay babes in the faith. So that you're called to grow up. You're called to get some maturity in this thing. And even in a culture, go ahead and let's go ahead and get real with where we're at today. We live in a culture that hands out participation trophies for just showing up. All the time. We live in a culture where, where you become a star just for breathing and being there. Paul is saying, man, forget all that. That needs to stop. We need people to simp- simply stop showing up and start growing up. And maybe that's Paul's main point in the beginning. Just because you came here this morning, don't get you bitterly squat in the kingdom. If you're not maturing as you're here. If you're not growing as you're going through some of the, the stuff that you go through. If you're not diving into, into scripture. So, so stop just showing up. And start growing up is what Paul is saying. As he jumps into chapter 4, he's saying that all throughout Scripture, we see the body of Christ, the people of God, being commanded to grow into maturity. Even before they understood it was the body of Christ. Look back at Joshua chapter 22, verse 5. He said, love Yahweh your God, walk in obedience to him, keep his commands, hold fast to him, and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Proverbs 9, 6, we get a a warning from Solomon. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. So Paul says, now that we've gotten through this stuff and we're here, I, therefore. Anytime you see, this could be a little little Bible note for you. Anytime you see the word therefore, you need to ask, what's it there for? Literally, you need to make sure you understand the connection. Because Paul's not coming out of nowhere here and randomly bringing up the church. He's saying, man, I've been getting on this for chapters with you guys. I mean, chapters one and two, he's gave the clearest, in my opinion, the clearest explanation of what it means to know God. And he wants the people of the church to understand what it means to to know God. And what he's saying now is he transitions into three, four, five and six. He's saying, and now if you get that, if you really understand it, you're going to be involved. You're going to be active and you're going to participate in the church. And if you're not, then you're missing something. So ask it this way. And this is to answer taken straight from scripture. Can you grow in Christ and be a good Christian apart from active involvement in the church? According to God's word, no. Now, I know some of you are thinking, man, I can sit at the house and I can do this and I can do that. You can. You can do a lot at the house. You'd be selfish at the house, too. Because that's what scripture says. Scripture says if you've given up the neglect of, of meeting with the body, you become selfish. You've missed all the blessings that one, you can be given to us and two, we can be given to you. It's a two sided relationship, right? This isn't a one sided thing. So from scripture, no. And I, and I want, that's what I want to use this morning, by the way. I want to use a lot of questions to, and, and, and scripture to answer them to make sure you understand. So you, you could, you could jot it down this way under that question. Can you grow in Christ and be a good Christian apart from active involvement in church? No, because believing always leads to belonging. True believing, by the way, right? True believing will always lead to belonging. You know, and that, that doesn't mean it's always through spiritual things. Sometimes it's through physical things. Dad cooked some burgers last night for, for Paxton Mom's birthday. We had some extras, so we, we took them on over to Mike and Rachel, and they ate, and I got a text back from Bubba Luke that says, I've got the best church in the world. Right? And that was through a cheeseburger. You know what I'm saying? Like, it ain't always going to be deep. Spiritual things, sometimes just going to be just the love of a physical cheeseburger. Must have been a good cheeseburger, right? Huh? Best in the world, not just even in give ands or the state. Huh? But, but that's part of it. Then he goes on and he says this. I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. 
worthy of the calling. In other words, he's saying in a way that is a proper response to what God has done for you. He says, I spent two chapters making sure two and a half, really making sure you guys understood all that God's done for you, all the the, the doctrine and the theology and, and this really stuff. And I want you to live in a proper response to that. Right. I'm going to talk about response to some of these these questions. this morning. So as he goes on, verse two. He expands a little bit on what that worthy of the calling looks like. He says, with all humility. If you get the gospel at all. I think that's why he spent a couple of the chapters before he got to some of these words. If you get the gospel, you understand that your righteousness was like filthy rags to God in comparison. And if you understand that and you, and you understand, you understand that God sought you out and he brought you back from the dead. And, he, and he, sometimes he's had to drag you into some other stuff. Maybe some of y'all he's still dragging, right? Like if you get all that, then you've got enough humility where you don't look down on other people. You know, you begin to understand. I, I can sense it in the way Beth had said her. Her praise report. You know, one of us, we might have said they was heathens and then they was some good kids. She said they wasn't necessarily bad kids. It was just a lifestyle they were brought up in. I said a couple weeks ago, I don't know if you guys remember, that some of the sins you think of that you hadn't committed is only because you weren't given the opportunity to commit them. If the opportunity presented itself, you would have been committing them. But you've just been blessed in a lifestyle where you haven't had the opportunity to do it, so you hadn't committed that sin. Paul is saying here with humility, he's saying, I don't want you looking down on people that had the opportunity to commit that sin, and they did. I want you to be humble and understand the same guy that had to drag you out is the guy that's going to drag them out. The same God that, that looks at your righteousness like filthy rags in comparison to, to what he's done and what he can do. That's, that's the same guy that's looking at them that same way. So Paul starts off with, with this word of humility, which I, I, I was going to save it for the end, but let me go ahead and say this now. Uh, Unity is not uniformity. I had to make sure I didn't mix those up. Maybe that's why I needed to say it now because I can say it right. Because some, sometimes, you, you, and I, let me understand because I see some of y'all looking at me blank faces. Unity is not uniformity, meaning this. Just because we all go to the same church don't mean we all got to look alike. It don't mean we all got to like each other as far as like otherworldly stuff. It don't mean everybody here votes the same way. It don't mean everyone here has the same view on sports, on athletics, on politics, on the school district, on the decision. None of it. And I can prove it by what Paul's saying, because what's he saying? You need to, you ain't got to be humble if everybody's the same, right? And, and what's he going on? He says, in gentleness and patience, bearing with one another. I ain't never had to bear with nobody who I'm in agreement with. Right? Like, I, I don't have to be gentle with some. Gentleness is normally a sign of I want to choke the life out of them, but I'm going to choose not to. Right? I've never had that feeling with somebody who agreed with me on everything. Right? I told Crystal... Man, years ago, and we use it all the time now. The way I knew she was the one was because I could love her like I love nobody else, and at the same time want to kill her like I ain't never want to kill nobody else. Because, and understand the reason why, because nobody could drive me crazy like she does. So, and she understands that. She can look at it with a smile because she knows that's love. When somebody can drive you bananas and you still choose to be with them, that's it. Right? And sometimes she'll take it a negative way when, when, when I'll go to know what she's thinking or about to do. And, and, and it's not negative. I just know her. Like, I know what she's going to choose. So, so anyway, I just want to make sure I understand. Unity doesn't have to be uniformity. Because I think sometimes some people are afraid to get actively involved in a body and become one with that body. Because they're afraid, oh, I don't want to be like all of them. You ain't got to be like all of us. What unites us, Christ, is greater than what divides us is what he's talking about. Right? So, so, so understand that. It goes on. This is the way you ought to treat others. Gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, love. Well, here's another test. And we talk about testing questions for today. If you're harsh and impatient with others, it's a clear demonstration that you're not in touch with how gentle and patient the Lord's been with you. Now, that's tough for a lot of us, man, if we're honest. Right. So you think about how harsh and how impatient, how much hatred you've had for somebody else, towards somebody else, about something else. And just be honest, like you're probably not in complete touch with how much. God's had to deal with you, or maybe is still dealing with you, to get through some of the stuff. Then he goes into verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says if, if, if you get the gospel, if you grab the hold of this thing, you'll be eager to see peace. Right? Now, I know you guys are going to think, like, we set this up. I've never met that man right there in my life. I don't think, have I? Okay, good. 
Right? I didn't want to lie to everybody. Lightning bolts will come down and strike us and we will all die. And, right? <laughs> He said he was here when there was no wings, there was no back part, there was a there was a, a, a stove right here, basically. Like that was a heat. And if you ever go in the attic, there's still the bricks, by the way, right there. Alright, so it was a little T90 square. He said they would have church. There'd be a disagreement. Now I know y'all find it very hard to believe the Baptist church could ever have a disagreement. Right? But he said if there was a big enough disagreement, when they left church, they'd make a circle in the parking lot and fight it out. You know what I'm saying? That'll solve issues. Huh? Let's get out there and decide who wins the stuff, right? He said where it got real fun is when the women wanted to go out there and fight that same way. Now, brother, not to call you out on your age, but if you was here when you was five, I'm going to assume that was like pre-50s, around 50s. Yeah. All right. All right. And <laughs> I wasn't going to tell him exactly where you was, but... <laughs> I've been reading all these cases, and listening, I don't do no reading, y'all know that. I've been listening to all these cases with Crystal, and she's been talking about the different roles of women. And So you can think back, back in the 50s, women didn't have the same roles they got now. That's safe to say, right? They weren't looked at as a, could you imagine, you know they had to wear dresses and all that, because that's the way it was, right? Could you imagine them rolling out there, hacking up a dress, and getting ready to go at it, because there was something in the church they didn't agree with? Now, y'all laughing about that. I can remember I grew, in church, grew up in church my entire life. I hadn't been saved my whole life. But grew up in church. Mom and daddy made sure to make sure the, the seed was getting watered and sprinkled as much as possible. I just took a long ray of sunshine before I finally sprouted. Right? So, so growing up in church, I remember the only time I ever wanted to go to business meetings was the same reason all the rest of y'all want to go to business meetings was when there was going to be a, a vote on something that you knew the church was going to be about 50 50 on. Because that was going to be some of the greatest arguments, the greatest yellings you've ever heard about, right? What is wrong with us where we love controversy? Still to this day, let's be honest, we love a little controversy sometimes. Paul is saying, I want you guys to be eager to maintain unity in the bond of peace. It means that you shouldn't have went to the business meeting wanting to see what kind of argument was going to get going. You should have been going and making sure you were bringing the unity in the bond of peace. So that you can tell everybody straight up, this side need to shut up, this side need to shut up, and we need to get together in Christ before we make any decisions. Because until then, we're just a divided body, and there ain't no such thing as a healthy divided body. But we love controversy. And it ain't just in the church. I'm talking about in school, guys. Yeah, I went to that old religious school to get one of them religious degrees. I remember there'd be days we'd go into class, and people would purposely stir up controversy so they call somebody else an idiot or so they could stir the pot somewhere else with another theology or another anything to split it all up and that was the that was that was that was their motive for that class period why paul says if, if you truly understand the gospel if you're truly in christ you are eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace I heard just locally, we've had so many, but I, I heard this week from a customer about how proud he was. This church, I'm not going to use any names, but I'm going to tell you they all local, right? How proud he was that this church was doing so good after the split from this other church. And that's our mindset. Our mindset is that when we don't dis we, we disagree with something, we don't like something, we just go start another one and build it up and we just brag about it. I think every time that happens, we break the heart of the Lord. He's like, I, I don't want more churches. I want more unity. I don't want division. I don't need more doctrines, denominations, different titles and all that mumbo jumbo crap that's man made with religion. I need more unity. And yet we brag about how good something can become after we divide what's not meant to be divided. And then, then I, I love this word. If you got your Bible, you need to highlight, underline. Please make sure you note this word. The word in verse three. For this whole thing is maintain. And I want to point it out because there's some of y'all up in here and some of y'all online that swear y'all created the unity. And I need to make sure you know you did not create. You didn't find unity. Create Unity was created by the spirit, by the gospel, by the Lord. And our job is to maintain it. That's it. We just stewards of it. Do you understand the difference? The reason I want to make sure you understand that word maintain, and it is maintain in the Greek also. Like I, that's why it's so important to me. I checked it out in the original. 
right? So we need to make sure we get that. Because some of us be thinking, oh, holy molly of ourselves, that like we did something to create this thing. You ain't did nothing to create this thing. Your job is nothing but to maintain it. You're a landscaper. Your job is to cut the grass, weed eat it, and make sure it's pretty. You didn't create the grass, right? You're maintaining it. And that's what Paul says. Maintain. This is not something you create. This is something you maintain. The gospel created the unity, and our job is to maintain it. So therefore, what he's also saying is when we lose unity, we've lost the gospel. Right? If one is true, the other has to be true when it comes to Scripture. So he's saying anytime there's a division, you've now lost the gift that Christ had through the gospel for you. See how bad division is now? That means anytime we're divided on something, you know, which, which I, I know I'm preaching to the choir, literally, because everything we do at the church since we've been established has been 100 percent. And we don't we don't play that voting game. We're going to sit down. We're going to like if we're the body, we're the body. There's no way to divide the body. And I hear people all the time when we won to vote 52 to 48. It was great. And then what I really love is when people got numbers that don't match up. But that's that's the math thing I get into. So but but but, but I, I'm like, what? That's that's your that's your thing. That's like the presidential election. I mean, could you imagine winning at, at any age? I don't just mean the last one or the next one or, or, or 100 of them ago. Could you imagine if you're over a whole nation and you win by just a small margin? That means half the nation hates you. Or at least they didn't want you if they don't hate you, right? Is that, is that the way we're supposed to be running a church? No, he says unity. If you get the gospel, you'll be unified, right? If you forget the gospel, you'll be tore apart and neglect the body. If you enjoy a good fight, you don't know the gospel. Does that make sense? Fair? If you enjoy gossip, you don't know the gospel. If you don't naturally want to connect with others, you don't know the gospel. Now, some of y'all are introverts. You were like, oh, man, what? What do you mean? I, I got to enjoy being with other people. And some of y'all be blaming your disconnectedness on your personality. You just don't know. Like, I, I, my personal time is what I really need. I, I don't really. Yeah, you're right. It is a personal thing. You're personally selfish. How about that for getting a toe stepped on this morning, right? That's what, that's what, that's what Paul's saying. He, he says, because the only person you care about yourself must be why you're all about yourself. That must be why you don't want to be in the, involved in the lives of others. Because the gospel is God, which, which what did God do, by the way? God was completely self-sufficient. He didn't need nobody else. And yet he left his throne on heaven to come what? Be with us. Right? To, to get involved in the lives of others. Did he have to get involved? No. He chose to get involved in our lives. If we're supposed to be mimicking him, maybe we should be doing the same things. The rest of verse four, it says, just as you were called to that one hope that belongs to your call. I love how Paul keeps using the word your call. Because you need to make sure you understand your call and your purpose. We said it before. You can be super successful at something you were never called to do and be miserable the rest of your life. Right. Some of y'all are miserable because you're doing something you weren't called to do. Some of y'all are missing out and you got a void because you haven't been doing what you've been called to do. Some of y'all never know because you weren't brave enough to try things. Right? You got to at least get out there and try them out. Then verse 5 goes on. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one God and a Father over all who are, who are uh, through all and all in him. Look at all that oneness. Huh? Paul can't get away from this unity thing no matter which chapter we get in. Verse 70 begins to shift. He starts talking about the fact that if God lives inside of you, this is how you need to relate to the church and the world. So now we're getting that, that physical application you guys have been asking for for weeks, right? God's purpose in salvation was not to just save you, bring you to heaven or any of those ideas you get sometime. His purpose was to fill you. That's what it said in, in, in verse 10. He descended and descended that he may fill all things. It means that why he was going around doing the things that it was prophesied that he was going to do, that he had to do, while he was going up and he was going down, he was dropping off and filling up things up while he passed them. Right? And we were the things he was filling up. He wants to fill up everything. The whole point of Christ's work is that he may fill all things, is what the verse says. But what does he want to fill me with? With himself. So that you can feel him moving inside of you. So, 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 so the love of the world gets kicked out and the love of him gets in and you become a conduit for his great power. He even calls them what gifts. He fills you with what spiritual gifts, things that you can experience him working, not, not just for you, not just in you, but through you. Now, I hope we understand that as believers, because this, this, this is an awesome, awesome idea we need to grab a hold of. Christ doesn't want to just work for you. He doesn't just want to work in you. He wants to work through you. 
I think that's one of the most exciting things as a Christian that sadly so many people miss about and they never experience. You feel like Jesus saved you and you agree with that and all that, right? But God wants to do some things through you that will blow your mind is what he ended last time. What did he say? I want to do things so so much more, immeasurably more than you could ever imagine. He wants to blow your mind with some of the stuff. So when Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, it ties all together. When Paul prayed in Ephesians 1 that we looked at weeks ago, he prayed what? That they may know the power. What power? This power that he's talking about right here. And understand this. I don't want us to feel beat up today. Like some of us need to get beat up, but that, that ain't the ultimate feeling. The feeling is I want us to leave like excited about what God can do through us. Excited about what he wants to do through us. Excited about how he wants to move through us and, and that we get to be part of it. Okay, so here's some more questions. First question. What are spiritual gifts and how do I know what mine are? Now, more than half of y'all have probably taken spiritual gift tests and and all that kind of stuff. But I wonder how often we've sat sat down. When we talked about last week, we'll Google and YouTube answer before we pray about an answer. Right? Some of y'all didn't like that. because You didn't write it down because you didn't like it because it hurts your feelings. That's what you do. Right? And, and it should hurt your feelings if that's what you do. Well, what, what, what I'm thinking here, and I'm not completely against some of those tests, by the way. But I do get a, a little funny feeling inside when people are all about that test on Google that they found rather than just praying and reading scripture about what the Lord wanted to do to them. Right? About, about it being, cause what does Paul say? Paul say it'd be confirmed by the way people speak to you. So meaning this, it means you got either a gift or a talent or whatever, and sometimes your gift is not a talent, sometimes your talent is a gift, like it can be both ways, it doesn't have, just cause you got a talent don't mean it's your gift, and just cause you got, don't have a talent don't mean it's not your gift, right? So, so Paul says you can, you can have or not have that thing, but then there'll be people in the body, which is why you gotta be with the body, cause if not, then having the body confirm your calling, right? There'll be people in the body that come to you and they confirm what you already felt the spirit trying to do inside of you, right? That that's good stuff, man. Right. So 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 as we go through this thing, I want to make sure we're aware of this. Here, here's what he says: easiest definition you'll ever get for spiritual gifts. By the way, spiritual gifts are an experience or an ability God has given you that He uses to build up others. All I did was take verse seven and verse thirteen in time together. Right? What is a spiritual gift? That was a question. Spiritual gifts are an experience or an ability. God has given to you that he's using for what? To build up others. Verse 7 said, but grace was given, but gifts were given to each one of us, which we'll get to in a minute. That means all of us got something, right? He, he, he didn't hold out on none of us. Verse 12, for the building up of the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain to the knowledge of the Son of God. If you got a gift or if you got a talent and you're using it for yourself, that's fine. But don't call it a spiritual gift then. Because in order for a talent to become a spiritual gift, it's got to be something you're using to do what? To build up the body of Christ. That's what he says. To build up the kingdom. Others, here's what he's actually saying and what he's getting at as he's getting ready to dive into to more of this stuff with other chapters. Others will come to know God better through your gift. Now that's awesome. Because what that means is you may have an experience, a talent, a gift, a showing, an ability that I ain't got. So, I mean, this, that's why we got to be together, right? I love it. I love it. Sometimes on a Wednesday night, man, somebody will throw out an idea that I never thought of. And it'll be like, oh, like if you didn't ever say that idea, I would have never thought of that idea. But then we dive into it and it teaches us a whole separate thing. That, that's why it's so important to be together as the body, right? You may have had an experience with Christ that somebody else got. You may have an ability that somebody else don't have. Someone might be like, you're gifted to speak. Not just speaking for God, but speaking over somebody. You ever had somebody pray over you, right? And, and, and you could, you like, you could feel it. I'm talking about even when you're not here, because we're gonna. My big thing as we close, I go ahead and tell you, I was gonna say it for the end. We're gonna come up and pray over like our brothers and sisters that have been divided because of the physical and not the spiritual. There's no doubt. I believe COVID is from the enemy, right? And he's and he's trying to use it, just like Paul would have used it you know, to, to divide. He's separating us. If he can get us separated for two weeks, three weeks. Oh, then you get comfortable and you don't go to fourth week just because it felt good those other weeks off. And, and it goes on. Right? That's why you got to get back in as soon as you can. Seriously, you just got to. Same thing with, with work and working out and moving and I mean all of it. Like it's just tied together. So, so at the end, we I, I want us to play as a group so hard over those that ain't even here that they send me messages and be like, man, I, I, I felt, I felt something. Like I don't even know what y'all was doing at 12 o'clock, but I but I could feel it, right? I don't know. Some of y'all thinking, oh, 12 o'clock be good. I don't want you to do it at 1230, you know, but, 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 I, but I can feel it. Right. We, 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 that, that's what Paul is talking about right here. 
that others can feel. That's a gift. Maybe you're gifted to let people know the compassion of Christ. Meaning this, that when you touch them, it's not just a touch from the physical. It's a touch spiritually. Like you've got that much compassion over somebody. I, I, I think my wife has that sometimes. Man. She, she'll hear about a need and, and she, she'll, she'll instantly drop no matter how bad she is and, and, and go try to address that sometime and help somebody or whatever. And, and I feel like that, that, that is it. Like, like she's gifted to let people know the compassion of Christ. She shared her testimony. I've shared with you guys before. Like the first time she fully realized that the, the, the gospel got inside of her and the spirit was living inside her, she was sitting in the car and she just started feeling like bad for people all around. Her. She didn't even know. Her. I'm in a car. I want to run people over. You know what I'm saying? Like I want to squish you out of the way so I can keep going about my day. She's in the car, like just breaking down crying because she cares about somebody she don't know. Right? Like that, that, that's, that's true. That's a gift. Maybe you got a mind for ministry. Mind for ministry is that, that means not only, well, it's a two part, two part, uh, yeah. You can dream up stuff ain't nobody else dreamed up. Right? We all know who got that ability. It should be sitting about like right there. Right? Or, or the second part of it, you can plan. Some people are the dreamers. Some people are the planners. Right? So, 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 so mind for ministry. Or, or this, the, the way you pray, you just know the will of God and the mind of God. So when you pray, it's, it's at one with the spirit. You know, we always use our time. Oh, if, if you just pray about it, God said he'll give it to you. No, God said if you pray what he wants, he'll give it to you. Right, so you got to be at one with him to get what you're praying for, right? Look at verse 16. And yeah, we're going we're gonna to go back a little bit. Don't think we had the last verse. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself and love by the proper working of each individual part. I love it, man. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow the right way. Preston, some of y'all know from his motorcycle wreck, got you know all kind of damage in his arm and all, and he gets mad because no matter how he works out and what he does, like his tricep will be like way down here because he ain't got the ligaments that used to be there to to put stuff back in the right spot. So so he begins to develop like a funny looking arm, kind of really. Right. And you should have been in church if you didn't want to say it out loud. I tell you every week now that you work with me. Oh, uh, you know, so, so, so you got that. You got that going. But, but man, that's so true for, for us. Like if the ligaments and all the stuff that connects everything in our body isn't right. It doesn't begin to look right either. And things begin to change. So, so what he what Paul is saying is if each part is working properly, the body grows the right way and looks the right way. And it does the right way. It becomes the right thing. First Corinthians 12, another book, Paul, another letter Paul wrote. He said that spiritual gifts are a manifestation of Christ. Now, I don't know if you guys understand what manifestation means. Manifestation where something invisible becomes visible. Right? Like, like it would be like, you don't know I'm angry until I slap you or yell at you. Right? That makes sense? The manifestation was me yelling or punching you in the nose. Before then, you didn't know. Like, I, I kept a smile on my face and put on my church face, you know, like you guys do. Uh, so, so, so I did that. Right? It's a manifestation. What, what the verse is saying, Christ is made manifest. His character, his beauty, his body, his abilities, all that stuff is known in the gifts he's given the church. Right? It's good stuff. It's good stuff. What makes your talent a gift is if God's using it to reveal himself to others. Make sure we get that. You can say it this way. Talents are given when you're born. Gifts are given when you're born again. Right? Makes sense? Yeah. Sometimes gifts are given on top of talent. Sometimes they're not. We talked about that. It doesn't have to be one or the other way. And then this note, verse 7, I hinted at it when we read it. All of us have one. It says given to each one of us. You know, this, is, this is like God's making sure like I, I'm not missing anybody to give the gift to. Like there's no, going to be nobody sitting there that morning thinking, oh, I didn't get something. Like everybody's getting one of these things, right? So therefore everybody ought to be using them, right? Second question you could ask. You're thinking, man, why, why are we reading this section? And, and, and why is this such a crucial thing? Why is it so crucial that I know what mine is? Because I believe from reading scripture that you are uniquely gifted and you have a particular part of Christ that can only be displayed through you in the ministry God's called you to do. I really believe that. You can look at it this way. The creator created us with a physical body, correct? We have DNA that runs through us. Now, I don't know what guy was smart enough or had enough time to sit down and calculate this out. But the DNA code, a uh, human DNA code, can be arranged in one in ten to the two billionth power. 
Y'all, y'all go ahead and just start writing out that number right now. I want to make sure you got it on your paper because it's important, right? One in 10 to the two billionth power. That is one, in case y'all don't know math, that is one with two billion zeros behind it. One comma zero, 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 comma, 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 zero. Y'all got to count it out so I know when I get to two billion so we can go on. Zero, 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 comma, zero, zero, comma, zero, zero, comma, zero, zero, comma, zero, zero. I'm only doing two zeros, so you're messing up, right? Just to put in perspective how big this number is, guys, the number one trillion is a one with 12 zeros behind it. Like we we can barely comprehend a number that big, I think, right? That's only 12 zeros. This, the DNA code, has one with two billion zeros behind it. That's That's huge, man. And what's also cool about that while we're looking at it is that's how unique God made you. You are uniquely made. I mean, that's awesome, right? Like, that's good stuff, I think. Now, if that's the creator of us physically, would he not create us the same style spiritually? So is it safe to say then there's nobody like you physically and there's also nobody like you spiritually? With the gifts you got, right? You've got a gift. You've got a vision. You've got an experience. You've got energies. You've got passions. You've got things that drive you completely unique that God has given you that he hadn't given somebody else. Meaning this, if you don't think you need the body, I'll go ahead and tell you, we need you. Right? It should be an amen from some of the people to know you might be needing something else, right? I need you if nobody else needs you. I do, because I need your ideas, I need your power, I need some of that. There are certain ways and certain things that you can reveal Christ that nobody else can. There are certain people you'll be able to influence that nobody else can. And if you don't, here's the sad part, if you don't, then there's a fear that there'll be people that God intended to reach that never get reached. What, what did he say in Ephesians 2 when we were there? Ephesians 2.10? That there are good works God has preordained for you to do? I want you to embrace that. Like, I, 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 if he had preordained works for me, I want to know what they are, and I want to start working toward accomplishing them. And if we're not, we're failing. There are people he wants you to reach and bring that nobody else can do, guys. Your mouth that will speak words of deliverance to free some people from, the, from that, that have been captive to sin that I can't or nobody else can. Look, it, it's unique. He's going to use you to minister healing to certain people. He's going to allow you to feel and relate with certain people in a different way. He's going, to, he's going to allow you to be able to, to, to connect with people that otherwise won't ever experience it. Some of you, God intends to take his power into certain groups in the world. Sure. I believe that's a passion he gave Daniel and Laura while they're in Puerto Rico, right? Some of our other missionaries that we've met that have gone other areas for a time period where the deals had it with, with, with their culture in Africa and in different places. And we've got, I've got friends in China that are, they're, they're, they're permanent missionaries. Like they, they don't get to come home because if they ever get found out who they are, they, they will cease to exist by, by some of the areas they're in, right? Like, so, so, so we've got that. But, but that's not all of us. I believe also God has the power and the ability for certain professions. I don't think it's a coincidence we got so many teachers and school workers and district workers in the church. Because who would God love to influence more than any other group, age group? Those that are still in school. Because statistically, after they get out, it's harder. Right? He's put some of you over, over organizations, or at least to work with organizations, where, where people you need a unique gift of help. He's given some of you experiences in life where, where you can reach out and say, hey, when I used to work here, I learned this about this. I thought my wife was going to go to law school and we was going to be rich. She's going to go to law school and we're going to help a bunch of broke people so we can be broke. I didn't figure it out. She'd get excited. You know what I'm saying? Like, Paxton, we're going to rely on you, Bo. You're 13. You're going to have to start making some money soon. Oh, But I didn't figure it out because I can know the cases she gets excited about that God's given her a passion about. And then the ones that I'm like, oh, that's cool, right? Like controversy. Yeah. And she's like, oh, that was just something I had to read to get over you know, for physics class. But then she'll sit there and tell me about something completely different, right? That I'm like, yeah, if we had that case, we ain't getting paid. All right? Notice the we now. She going to law school, but it's a we afterwards. Just saying. Y'all can call me doctor also, right? <laughs> but, uh, oh, well, I don't even know where I'm at, right? <laughs> look, look, here's the point. Some of us feel unfulfilled or bored spiritually because we've never experienced the power of Christ that surges through us. Really, that's it. 
some of us have missed out on, on some of that. So here's the third question. Why should I even get involved in the church? I mean, let's be honest. In today's day and time, the church has so many problems. Why, why should I get involved? In here's what 12 and 13 said, in case you forgot. For the building up of the body of Christ, because it's to be built up, not tore down, until we all, I know all is a big word, it's got three whole letters, A-L-L, until we all attain to the knowledge of the Son of Man. What's he saying? He's saying that we all better be building up the body of Christ until everybody in the body of Christ got the full knowledge of God. Do we all have the full knowledge of God yet? No. Every time I open the Bible, I get something new out of it, right? So, so here's what the verse teaches. God reveals a part of himself through each one of us. Now, mosaic is the word my wife wrote down for me to be able to say. But, but I was thinking, like, her, her mom has this picture at the house that it's, you know, it, it makes up the, the twin towers, but it was made up of, like, thousands and thousands of other pictures. So that's, that's what a mosaic is. Or you can think of it like a quilt if your grandma did quilts. Like, one square was pretty, right? But when you put it all together, there should be a picture coming maybe. When you put it all together, it makes like a more profound, astonishing thing. And that's when I read what Paul's writing here and I understand it, I picture us like that. At first I said we're like puzzle pieces, but some puzzle pieces is kind of plain. So maybe we are like puzzle pieces. I don't know, right? But we, 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 when we all get together, we make a, a beautiful picture. So if you go home and you, you Google that, that mosaic, right? Then you were able to zoom in enough or, or maybe click and, and find the individual. Each of those little T90 squares and rectangles is its own individual picture. And it took all of them together to make this this one. I think that's what Christ does through the body of us, the body. He, he, he reveals a part of himself through each individual one. But then when we're all together, we get the, the big picture. And don't we want people to get the big picture of Christ? I think a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of the problems in the world is because people don't have the big picture of Christ. They got partial picture of Christ. And as long as they get partial picture of Christ, they're never going to get the whole thing, right? I think this is cool that there are parts of Jesus that I'll only know by knowing you. That's what he's saying. Like, you'll fulfill the gaps I got, right? Because he wants to make sure we all attain full knowledge. Then I'll fill the gaps that, that some of you got, right? There's certain dimensions, certain, certain parts of his beauty that have been revealed in your life, whether it's through experience or study or whatever, right? And Jesus says, I want you to, to, to get involved. I want you to be full of this, and I want you to share it with them. Meaning this, the power of God flows through the church. Because power is in what? Knowledge, right? Isn't that what we say? So power is in knowledge, and therefore the power of God is through the church. If you want the power of God at work in your life, then what scripture saying? You better be involved in the church. I mean, he gives flat-out warnings, like don't neglect being together. Which cracks me up because there's a lot of people, friends even I got, that pray for power that aren't connected to the church. And if God won't say it, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I fully believe God's sitting there asking, why in the world are you asking me to work in your life when you won't come to the power source and get connected? How's Vody Bauckham say it? Ouch. Right? We don't like that because that hurts our feelings. Sometimes we need the hard truth, though, so that we can understand some things. We, we use it, but well, we used it the week. I don't know how many of you guys got to watch my sideways video. I didn't realize I was sideways while sitting in my office by my 13 year old kid who is supposed to be technology sound. They're supposed to be smarter than me in technology, but he had this, this phone face the other way. It's about halfway through my sister drove up here and decided to turn it. And then you got the, the right picture. But, but there was a great illustration that week that I want to make sure we get where we're talking about the, the body of Christ. If, if my elbow itches, does my brain send down this zapping power to solve it? The brain clearly knows my elbow itches, right? No, what does the brain do? The brain sends a signal to my left hand that says, left hand, go scratch right elbow. And I scratch, my fingers move, the itch goes away, and I'm like, oh, that was glorious. Right? So then you ask the question, right? What, what, what took care of my scratch, my brain or my finger? Which one? Huh? It's a stupid question. My brain told my finger to go scratch my elbow. They did it together. Is that not the same way we are with Christ? Christ is the brain. He's the head, right? He's not good. Sometimes I think we pray and like we think God's going to come down with like his spiritual taser and, and solve an issue real fast. His spiritual taser is some of you guys. He says, I'm the brain and I'm going to tell the left fingers 
that the right elbow got a problem and they need to go solve it and help them out. I'm the brain and I'm going to tell Stephen, right, that Carla's got an issue that he can solve because he's been gifted this way and he's going to go solve it. And Carla's going to say, God, thank you for being the brain that sent the message to Stephen who had the ability to come solve whatever it was. Right? That, that, that's what he's saying. He talks about the unity, man. It's a good, a good picture we need to understand. How does God work through your life? Through the body. He repeats it over and over through scripture. What right do you think you have to ask God for his power if you've separated yourself and unplugged yourself? That'd be like the, 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 the lamp at the house. Like you rip the, the connection out of the wall. It ain't plugged in, but yet you keep switching the little thing thinking you can cut it on. You can't cut it on if it ain't connected, right? So what makes us think we can cut on the power of God if we're not connected to him? What makes us think we can get the extra power, which he clearly says flows through the body of Christ, if we're not connected to a body of Christ? Pride, selfishness, I don't know. We ask, we, and, and then we try to go even further. And it's like we're always trying to get out of something, right? Well, how, how involved should I be in the church? Oh, I got an easy answer for that. You should be involved in the church as much as you want Christ to be a part of your life. You can write that one down. That's a guaranteed perfect answer. Right? How involved should the church, if the church should you be? You should be involved in the church as much as you want Christ to be involved in your life. How much do you want to know him? That's how much you should be involved. Right? And I'm going to tell you as your pastor, when I get to this section, I understand that God has filled you guys for some type of ministry, some role. So therefore, as your pastor, my main job, by the way, is not to, to, to bring the lost anymore. Like God took that, that main thing away from me. Not that I don't care about the lost. Not that I won't go outside and preach to them. They'll get a sermon at a tire shop and heartbeat. But we need to understand what scripture says is what? The pastor, the leader, the teacher, all the, their main job is what? To equip the saints. My main job isn't the lost anymore. Do you understand that? Because sometimes I'll be thinking like, oh, I invited my lost friend. Make sure you save them while they're here. I don't save nobody to begin with. Jesus does, right? So there's the first thing you need to understand. The second thing you understand is you got more power to save your lost friend than I got. Right? That, that, that's what the gospel's talking about. And I understand that he's filled you guys to do this in vastly different ways. So I believe by reading this, my main thing is to teach you guys to discover and access the power for your calling. I believe it. I'll prove it. Verse 11. And so he gave the pastors, teachers... What did he give them? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, who's the saints? Oh, you need to all make sure you get this or I'll preach a whole separate sermon right now on saints. And I ain't talking about the New Orleans saints. I ain't talking about football here in a minute, right? By the way, the saints are losing today. You nod it down, right? But anyway, right? Who's the saints? You are. What does scripture say? I am starts with E, ends in equipper. Equipper, hey, she's been to college, right? I'm the equipper. So we need to make sure we get this, man. I pray that our vision at Brookhaven is not a group of people basking under one leadership and amazed at how cool it can speak or anything like that, but a group of people empowered to be leaders themselves in the communities they go back into, in the jobs they go back into, in the places they go back into, to be a group of people being released to take God's power to that community. And you want a radical thought? I believe there's better ideas for ministry in you than in me. I do. Because you guys share it all the time. Think I'm joking. Let me give you one, right? Pastor, we need a ministry to do this. I'll look at them and I'll be like, we sure do. And there'll be this awkward pause for a few minutes. Because I don't know what they thought I was going to like magically wave my spiritual wand and get it solved right away. Or if I was going to come back after a couple minutes of purposely staring them blank in the face and say, well, if God gave you that desire, sweetheart, maybe you should look to him for a way to do it. Right? Let's go ahead and get real with it. God gave you desire. Maybe he's planning you to do it. Right? Here, here's the interesting thing. I've never read in the New Testament or anywhere else in scripture where the world, where, where the world was commanded to come to the church. However, I can't even count as many times as the church is commanded to go to the world, right? So let's stop building a safe house, spending our time in a holy huddle. None of you are going home to turn on the football game to watch the guys in the huddle, right? You're going home to watch what happens after the huddle, right? After the timeout, after that stuff, right? So, so if that's the thing, and, and here's where I'm going, make sure, I want to make sure we're fair and understand. We talk about problems in the church. I think Christians over the years have confused discipleship. 
That's where I, that's where I want us to, to, to take this ending right here, right? Christian discipleship, what they think, or, or what it is, is teaching people to be filled with the Spirit of God so they can be used for the mission of God. Filled with the Spirit of God so they can be used for the mission of God. What I mean by us having it mixed up is this. I think a lot of Christians, unfortunately, still today, think of the sanitation process when it comes to discipleship. We think, oh, if we can get a bunch of dirty people, we can dip them in some holy Clorox, and we can keep them away from R-rated movies, we can keep them away from beer, we can keep them away from tobacco, we can keep them away from dancing, we can keep them away from all that stuff. Yes, they'll have a miserable, boring life. You're right. But it wasn't discipleship. Was it? Because discipleship, we just said, is what? Equipping people, right, with the Spirit of God to do what? To fulfill the mission of God. So all we've done is, is... Maybe it's like this, and this is my fear, that we disinfect Christians rather than disciple them. Now, you can spray all the lights all you want at your house with COVID going around, okay? Disinfect it all, right? But let's stop worrying about the disinfection process with Christians, and let's start discipling Christians. Let's start teaching them that that, that they're supposed to be like Jesus, and Jesus does what? He gets involved in people's lives. He reaches areas in people's lives. Maybe let's just go back to Paul's beginning, the challenge. Grow up. Grow up. You've been sitting on the sideline too long, coming out with great ideas, thinking about great ideas, talking about other people. Get involved. Take the bib off. Stop complaining. Stop chewing on baby food. And maybe that's some of the biggest thing. We come up with what? The church ain't meeting my needs and it's part of my ministry. And this, this church ain't doing this for me. And this church ain't doing that for me. You know what I want to do when I hear people talk like that? Well, first, I want to slap them as a man, just to be honest with you guys. Right. But the second thing is I want to just take a bib and put it on them and go lay them down for a nap. I do. I just want to put a bib on you, wipe your little face off with one of them little, little, little wipes, right? And go take it. Let's slow day down for your nap, baby. Because you're acting like a baby. You've missed it. You've missed what the whole gospel's about. You've been in church for 20 years and you still want somebody to spoon feed you. You look as goofy as the full grown man in a diaper drinking out of a bottle that we talked about at the very beginning. Right? Well, we don't like that. That's an ouch moment. Is that what that is? Okay, well, out yourself and, and we'll get over it here in a minute, right? You see something wrong, man. Try to fix it. Try to fix it. You see a ministry that we're not doing? Start it. Why is that so hard? God has equipped me to equip you to do what? Start ministries. You could almost say a pastor gets out of the ministry when he gets into the ministry. That's kind of a weird way to say it, but that's what it does, right? Man. And my funny thing is, or my my pet peeve, I can't even call it funny anymore, right? Is they come up and they say this. Man, this needs to be changed at your church. Here's what breaks my mind, breaks my heart, really does, when they say your church. Because I know they haven't matured enough to know it's our church, right? And they, they definitely haven't matured enough to understand that it's Christ's church anyway, like he's the head, right? So, so as they do that, they, they've already not matured enough to take ownership, so I'm upset about that, right? And then, then when they do finally get to the, the, the stuff, by the way, I, I get a kick out of it, because I promise you what they're thinking is this. I'm going to wave that magical wand again, and this is going to fix it, because they mentioned it. Oh, I told the pastor it ought to be all solved now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you about some of your problems. Let's see if you solve them that fast, too. Right? And, and if I can be real honest, here's the problem. You come to me with this list like it's a new idea. Hey, did you know y'all ain't doing so-and-so? You're kidding. What? I had no idea. I promise you my list is longer than your list. How about that? I promise you some of you is on my list. Let's go ahead and be real honest, right? We're going to be honest about it. Let's be honest about it, huh? Let's go and throw it out there just like that. And I promise you I ain't waving no magical spiritual wand to fix it all either. Why? Because here's what Christ said. Christ said, we're the body. We together fix it. We together solve it. He runs through every single one of us so that all the needs can be met. Right? He brought up that need in your mind so that you can do it. So grow up. Step out in ministry, man. Be bold enough to check some of this stuff out. Man, the great truth is that we serve a great God who's put himself and his redemptive power inside of us that we need to be unleashing. That he's given us the ability to unleash, right? Man, there's there's a certain part of Jesus. Make sure I can say this right. There's a certain part of Jesus that you can only know by serving him. Now, I mean that. Like, if you've never served, you don't know. Like, you you ain't connected to that level. Just, Just like there's a certain part of Jesus you can only know by going through a suffering. You go through a suffering, you'll know a part of Jesus that nobody else knows. Like that, that, that's that deeper thing, right? 
So, so you can't get it by learning. Not that I'm against seminary or books and all that stuff that you guys read. I'm just saying, like, you can never replace the knowledge that comes from true fellowship with being on board with the mission of God. Maybe some of your greatest relationships could be suffering while serving. Huh? Instead, as soon as there's a little bit of suffering or a little bit of this, we just tuck tail and run. And we get out of it. There ain't no, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. There ain't nothing that says he's promised it's going to be easy when you get on board with the ministry he's called you for. Matter of fact, he says the exact opposite of most of it. We've said before, look at what he told his disciples. Hey, if the world's trying to kill me, what do you think they're going to do to you? Right? If I ain't got a place to lay my head, what do you think you're going to lay yours? Huh? Jesus, did, man, I, I love that he never lied to his, to his followers. And I don't want to lie to you guys. I do say this. The gospel equips you for the journey. The gospel changes people who can then change the world. But it's work. It's a job. It's a calling. Huh? Let me, let me do some of those questions I told you guys I want to do, right? By the way, I think that, that unity as we're talking about, I, I had, do you know the problem with knowing what I'm going to preach so, so, so many weeks early? I got like four sermons for chapter four. You know, like, I'm straight up serious. Like we could, we could go to town for another hour, but my sister's doing the kids and she threatened me that wasn't her calling. So she didn't want to be back there too long. <laughs> she didn't tell me that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Here's that scoreboard test thing. Here's what I really think about this for the end. Maybe write these questions down so you think about this week. I'm a scoreboard kind of guy. It's just the way I'm hardwired. I need to know where I'm growing. I need to know where I'm failing. I need to know what needs to be addressed, right? So here we go. Number one, what's your thought life like? All based off scripture, by the way. Romans 12.1. Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. Be renewed by the transforming of your mind. So what's your thought life like? You want to know if you're maturing in Christ, your thought life is probably one of your number one things that's going to be a good judge of it. Number two, what's your behavior and attitude like? Your thoughts should affect your behavior and attitude. That's Galatians 5. What we're going to get to in probably two two weeks, yeah, I think so. Uh, how are you spending your time? Ephesians 5. Notice none of this. We always use the old checkbook trick in Baptist churches for some reason. You show me your checkbook and I'll tell you where you've been. No, you just show me your time. I don't even care about where you're spending your money. Right? Because if you start spending your time right, you'll spend your money right. Huh? So, so, so we got what's your thought life like? What's your behavior and attitude like? Where are you spending your time? And then I changed question four. I told the men this Wednesday night. What is the, I had, what is the company you keep in your life? Doing youth ministry for so long, that was what we were so big on. Right? I'm telling you guys, who you hang out with is who you're going to be like. I'm not saying that's not true, kids, so please don't think that, right? But I want to change it because that's, that's, that's a crappy answer. And I, and I mean it. When I study scripture, here's what the question changes to, by the way. I see some of you writing and looking. What is the effect of the company I keep on my life? Because you're supposed to be around some heathens. You're supposed to be involved with some bad people. Some of y'all are like, oh my God, don't tell my son that. Yes, you should equip your son where he can go to school where there's a bunch of heathens and he can shine like the light. Right? Or you should have trained your son up so that when he turns 18, you ain't scared to death what's going to happen when he moves out. Or some of y'all are like, I ain't worried about 18, I'm worried about 21. Well, then you should have trained him up for 21. Train them up for 30, train them up for 35, train them up for 40, just train them up for all age groups, right? Huh? What is the effect of the company? If the company you, you around is affecting you more than you're affecting them, that's a problem. Now, if you affecting them, that's greatness, right? That's what we're called to do. Proverbs 20, uh, 13, 20. Walk into wise and become wise, but com- a companion of fools suffers harm. Verse five, or fifth question. Verse five. Verse five in the book of Philip. What are your ambitions or what do your ambitions reveal about you? That's from Matthew six. What's your ambitions? What's your passions? What do they reveal about you? We live in a culture where not only those participation trophies, but our culture now, like our only ambitions to make money. And make money and make money and make money and make money. and make. I got news for you. I know a lot of rich people who are miserable. I'm telling you. I got customers that have come by today, and I know how many millions of dollars they got. Yes, I said million, like millions, like no big deal, right? Go buy a dump truck, write a check for it, $200,000, like, like no problem. Miserable, miserable, right? Because money ain't it. Money ain't it. You walk around empty because you hadn't been filled with the spirit. What did he say? He went up and he went down, and while he was going up and down, he was filling everything in between. 
If you ain't filled with him, if you feel, then you're filled with something else, which is a substitute. Huh? Y'all, y'all know why y'all don't like that MSG? And that MSG that comes in food? Right? Because it's made to fill you. Right? But then you feel like crap afterwards because it, it's just a temporary fill. Huh? Think about it. But you can say it this way. This is good. This ain't part of the questions. I just got to do it. Right? What you filled with is what you walk like. I like it. That ain't nowhere in the nose, but that's good. What you filled with is what you walk like. Y'all ever like sat there and been so hot, you just like chug water for I don't know how long, and then when you went to get up, your belly was like, <laughs> and you see him walk, right? Or, or, or like you waited too long to go potty, and then you walk funny. Like, you know, there's those moments too, right? No, I get you one way or the other, man. What you filled with is what you walk like. Am I wrong or am I right? You know where somebody's going by how they walking sometimes, am I right? Huh? Yeah. If they got to go somewhere, then they... <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like they, you watch that kid, you ever watch the kid when they first get body trained, and then one real funny, you know what's happening, right? You got to go to the bathroom? Uh-uh. Are you sure? <laughs> right? Say some of y'all think like, I ain't a baby. Your wife come home and says, meet me in the bedroom. How you walking? <laughs> you gone, brother, right? <laughs> I'm in trouble for that one. Let's keep going. Right? Number five. <laughs> Number six. Oh, I run to my bedroom, brother. She ain't got to say it more than once. She ain't got that sentence out the room before I'm gone. <laughs> Number six. <laughs> Getting way home more trouble. When was the last time you opened the word? There's a good test. Psalm 119. Check that one out. When was the last time you opened the word? How often you opened the word? Maybe what I should have wrote. How often do you repent? Number seven, last one. Oh, I got to do that more than once. Where we have sin, we must have repentance. Where we have no repentance, sin takes root. That's what scripture says. So yeah, you probably should repent more than once. Twice. More than 7,000. More, more than one to the two, more than one to the tenth to the two billion for me. Right? Seven questions, man. What's your thought life? What's your behavior attitude? What are you spending your time? What's the effect of the company you keep in your life? What do your ambitions reveal? When was the last time you opened the word? How often do you open the word? Or how often do you repent? You answer them seven questions this week and you'll have a good gauge of how mature you are in Christ. Psalm 1, I don't know if that, put that up. Psalm 1, verse 1 through 3. No, Psalm 1, 1 through 3. I want to read this real quick for you. This is too funny why my wife picked this picture, by the way, for the beginning. So go back to that title picture, which it's also on every slide. I just noticed. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, the word of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. I'll be honest with you guys. We need a generation of trees, not a generation of weeds. And when I read that picture right there. And I, and I, my wife just picked this on her own, by the way. She said, I got, I got a mosaic. You knew that word would come up so many times. You know, I'd say it right. Right. I got a mosaic of a flower coming together. She had no ideas, not even up there. So she really didn't know I was going to go into Psalms at the very end to talk about that tree growing. Right. But is that not God tying it all together? Huh? I told you guys at the beginning, some of us, we, we, we get in some spiritual stuff, but a lot of us right now, we get into physical stuff. So as, as these ladies sing and, and, and play this song, I want you to, I want you to think about this. Think about that one particular person that God put on your heart. Altars open, your chairs open, wherever you need to pray and, and, and spend time together. But let's pray that we stop the division, whether it be from physical stuff going on right now, the enemy doing that, COVID, whatever else, or, or if it's against spiritual stuff. Right? Man, I, I get asked for prayer a lot of times by a lot of people. There's been two in the last month that have really stood out. Well, there's, there's been a couple, but they stood out for negative reasons. I won't share those because that's wrong. Right. But, but, but two for positive things. One, one was my buddy who came home yesterday. Right. And, and then the, the other one was Lori yesterday. And she, she just called and in her voice, you could, you could sense like just the, the, the pain and not, not even just the pain, but just like the, the misery. Maybe you can call it like a little bit of fear or, or whatnot, but, but, but just the, the, the unhappiness that's come with the physical condition.
And I don't think she's the only one. I don't think he was the only one. They were just two that I, that I knew close enough that would be willing to call for prayer. So I want us to end today with praying for that. If you got nothing else, if you didn't think you got nothing for repentance, you, you ain't got, you, you passed the seven questions and you, you're as mature as you can get. That's what you need to spend some time praying for this morning. People who are hurting, people who are separate, people who have fear over something that's real, that's, that's hitting hard, right? And, and let's pray that we break it off so we can fill all these empty seats back up, man. I think the enemy got scared because we was filling up seats left and right. He figured he had to figure out some sort of way to divide up a church again. And I don't just mean here, it's everywhere. I got friends in all, all over the world, really. You know, they're, they're in ministry to share the same stuff with me. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this morning, God. God, I thank you for Paul's writing. Not just chapter 4, but Lord God, I thank you for the whole letter. I thank you for the lessons in it, Lord God. I thank you for the calling, God. I, I thank you for even the, the scoreboard test at the end, Lord God, that, that might hit and step on some toes as we think about it. But God, I pray from that that we produce a growth. God, that we quit sucking a bottle, Lord God, and start chewing on some steak. Lord, that you grow us up, that you equip us as a group, Lord God, as a body. God, that everything's connected right to the brain. And that we respond when you tell us to go scratch an elbow, to go tend to a need. God, that our minds and our eyes have been open to see things all around us, Lord God, that you've given us the vision to see, that maybe somebody else doesn't see. God, I pray for, for people who aren't with us this morning, that are hurting, Lord God, that are afraid, that are struggling, whether it be spiritually or physically, emotionally. Lord, I pray for special healing over them. God, I pray that this be their moment of, of long suffering so that they can develop a deeper relationship and knowledge with you. Lord, that you've got a purpose in the pain. And if it's just strengthening your relationship with them, Lord God, then we praise you and thank you for it. But God, I pray they get out of it quick, Lord. God, I pray that you be their strength when they feel like they can't take no more. That they turn it over to you, Lord God. God, that we, we turn over our lives to you, Lord God, our ministries to you, our callings to you. That we're one. United front with you in charge. In your great and holy name we pray. Amen.